with me this morning and turning your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning with verse 19, if you're there, say amen. The Lord allowed me several weeks ago the honor to speak at Covenant Academy, the baccalaureate service, and he put some things on my heart there, and in all honesty, I'd never planned on sharing that here. Uh, Finished up part two. Uh, of the message uh, stained from the fleshly lust that war against the soul and was prepared to minister that today. And I just felt his quickening yesterday morning that there were some things in that message for not just the graduates, but for who would be here today. See, I didn't know who would be here today, but he does. And so I want to be faithful to that trust uh, this morning. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 This, of course, is Moses speaking to the children of Israel on behalf of the Lord. And there are many natural promises, the natural covenant and an invitation. But much of it is applicable to us today, spiritually speaking. Moses said, and I say to you today, I call heaven and earth to record this day before you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your seed may live, that you may love the Lord your God, and you may obey his voice, and you would cleave to him. For he is your life and the length of your days, so that you may dwell in the land which the Lord, the Lord swore unto your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them, and to the land that is promised us, a promised land, a blessed land through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to speak to you for the next few moments on the subject from here on. From here on. Would you pray for me as I pray for myself this morning? Lord, give me such a clarity today and such an anointing that this word would be so knit to the soul of these graduates and others that they couldn't shake it if they tried to. That as the world tries to deconstruct their faith, they can't help but remember the things you've done for them and the things you've done in them. That they would be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That their faith would shine uh, like a pearl against black velvet that they would not be intimidated by the number of the people that walk away from the Lord, but they would be drawn to those that walk side by side with him. I pray for that today, Lord. Let this be a day that they remember. For your glory, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to be referring very quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these points, and I just want you to get the headings. But this message is going to be to where you would leave today, and I think someone would say number one and number four, or number two and number six. I want to pull from that which I've experienced in the Lord, that which you'll find in the Scriptures, and it's just advice for the days to come. So it's kind of like the gleanings from... Uh, a white-haired preacher, uh, my journey with him, and what I wish someone would have told me. 
you know, I, I didn't quite have the honors that they had. I, I heard someone give a, um, either a baccalaureate or a, what word am I looking for? No, the, uh, no, no, what's the final? The commencement. Thank you. When you get old, just one word will just leave you, and you know what you're talking about. You just can't get it out. He said at the commencement, he said, be really kind to your A students. They'll come back and teach biology and chemistry. But be really kind to your C students because they'll come back and build you a $100 million science building. So it is with that experience that I bring forth this morning. Number one from here, watch the hourglass. Like sand through the bottle, so is the days of our lives. Students, you need to know that your life is but a vapor. It appeareth for just a little while and then it vanishes away. I know, I know you're young and we couldn't be told anything and our parents couldn't be told anything, but you're going to blink and you're going to be in your 30s. There are people in this room, I dedicated the child. I was on the stage when they graduated and then I did the marriage vows for them. This, I'm not being melodramatic. Your life, I remember my nanny and papa had an old tin. I don't know what they made pots of back then, but you could put it on the stove and it boiled in like eight seconds. It was just a thin metal. And I remember, I have the vivid memory of seeing the steam come off that thing and it just fade away. And the Lord says, that's your life. Watch the hourglass. What you're going to do, do today. Who you're going to be, be it today. Don't bank on tomorrow. David said, Lord, teach me to number my days. If I could tell you anything as you go off into, into school or further education or in the workforce, slow down the, 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 the potter's wheel, if you will. Slow down the spinning all around you and weigh out your days. Because we're not promised tomorrow. Your life is a vapor. It appears for just a little while and vanishes away. It's not lost on me that my earthly father died when I was 40 and I'll be 60 in August. I've outlived him. He, he didn't plan on not having those days. So this is a question I pose to our graduates and I pose to you. I don't care what age you are, how far you are in your journey. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? What are you going to do with the rest of your life. Everything that pertains to salvation, God did it. But everything that pertains to your works and heaven's reward is up to you. The Bible says, and whatsoever that righteous man doeth shall prosper. Don't put off for tomorrow. Be his today. Be effective today. Be faithful today. Work today because night cometh when no man can work. Number two, pick up the broom. Number one, watch the hourglass. Number two, pick up the broom. The Bible tells us in Galatians 6.10, as often as you have opportunity, do good to all men, especially those in the household of faith. I love what Dr. Mark Rutland said. He said, I've traveled the world. I've spoken in every nation tribe and dialect that I'm aware of in the world. I've pastored uh, large churches. I've brought some back by God's grace from the brink of destruction. I've been the president of several Bible colleges. He said, but 90% of my ministry 
is like, can be described as walking into a dirty house and knowing where the broom is. Pick up the broom. Don't be the person at church that comes in late and leaves early and does nothing. If you, I teach, I'm trying to teach my children now at our house. If you see it, it's yours. And they love to do that with the new puppies we have. Uh, they always tell each other, you saw it, it's yours. Uh, <laughs> with the trash. There should be within each of us a willingness, an eagerness. As often as you have opportunity, do good to all people, especially those in the household of faith. That means every day, all during the day. Pick up the broom. It may not be your area of gifting, but you're not above the broom. Stop. Cut the grass. Help the widow. Open your doors to your home. You know how you recognize, you don't say anything because we're good Pharisees. We don't, we don't say anything. But you know how you recognize lazy people at work? They do just enough, maybe even not enough to get by. We know who's lazy in our family. We remember the lazy people back as far as high school. But no one says anything in the kingdom of God. Pick up the broom. Work for the Lord. You'll be rewarded according to your works. Not fruit. The fruit is a result of the Holy Spirit. You get no reward for that. Not goodness. The goodness of the Lord is produced by the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not love or joy or peace. It's works. And works come disguised as work. What would the local church look like if everyone worked like you? Everybody, a lot of us want to be seen or known, but it's the people that know where the broom is, that visits the homeless, the sick, the widows. They feed, they clothe, they do the things behind the scene, and the church, not just the building, the, the work is done. I'm tired of looking at pristine Christians. I like to see them with dirt under their fingernails and blisters on their hands. And they say, for you, oh Lord, the guy that cuts our grass every week here at the church, he don't do it for Pastor John. He doesn't do it for Christ Chapel, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that go and, and feed and they work. So, well, I don't know what to do. Just look around. There's dirt in every corner. Pick up the broom. Number three, put your pole in the water. Put your pole in the water. There's a story where the Pharisees and Sadducees came into Jesus' disciples and said, do you guys pay temple tax? And it's really funny if you want to go look it up. Simon Peter said, yes, of course we do. And he went back to where Jesus and the disciples were located. And he said, Jesus, do we pay temple tax? <laughs> he just went ahead and said, of course we do. And Jesus said, well, let me ask you a question, Simon. Do the children of the king pay tax? And he said, no. Jesus was children of the king, son of God. Simon's, I identify with Simon. He could say something really smart one minute and then just be dumb as a freshwater trout the next minute. You know? And he said, okay, Simon, I tell you what. I want you to go out to the sea, the Sea of Galilee. 
30-something miles in circumference. Middle Georgia. I want you to throw a hook in the water. It didn't say he baited it. And those of us people say, what do you mean you don't bait it? If you're a fisherman, you know what I'm talking about. If it's shiny and it wobbles through the water, you got to hit. No net. He said, go throw the, your hook in the water. And the first fish you catch, pull it up, take the money out of its mouth, and pay the tax. Okay, time out. <laughs> Come on. Lord, you wouldn't make me be that vulnerable. You wouldn't ask me to do something that absurd. Lord, we're practical people. We've got practical education with practical gifts. And those of you that are graduating today and those in this room, have you learned so much that you forgot to trust the Lord for the impossible? Have you, have you learned so much and sang so much and attended so much that you only believe for the things that you can see? See, Simon was in a dilemma when the Lord spoke to him. And he said, go put your hook in the water and the first fish you catch, take the money out. There's some variables here that, that have to be explained. Where does he go? There's 33 miles of shoreland. Where do you go? So did someone drop a coin and the fish come and get it? And waiting on Simon to come, will Jesus just create the coin? In the belly of the fish? How, how do these variables line up? God wants you to know that his sovereignty, sovereignty is past your comprehension. And he does things, he speaks to things that are not as though they are. And he controls all things by the word of his power. Don't be a Christian that's so practical you lose the divine element of awe and trust and glory. I thank God that I was foolish enough to put my pole in the water. So Simon goes and throws his hook out there. Probably had a Zebco 33. He didn't have a lot of money. And he's wobbling that hook through there. Can you put yourself in his place? What if I don't catch a fish? Well, he's not God. What if I catch a fish and it doesn't have money in its mouth? He's not God. He has a problem. But if he catches a fish and it has money in his mouth, he has a bigger problem. There'd be a problem if he wasn't God. But it's a bigger problem if he is. So Simon throws the pole in, working the hook through, catches the fish, brings it up on the shore. And if he's anything like you or I, there's that moment of hesitancy where he doesn't look in. He's scared. And then he looks in that fish's mouth. And there is this shiny token of grace. And I can imagine him walking back to camp. And, you know, I don't, I don't fish all the time anymore, but I couldn't help but think this. If that fish is big enough for you to stick your hand in its mouth, that's dinner too, you know? So he's got the fish. He's got the pole. He has the coin. But now he's had an experience that will cause him to walk where other people are unwilling to walk. He's got an experience with God that lets him see what other people can't see. He hears what other people can't hear. He knows what other people don't know. And he has walked with God in places that their pride would not let them walk. Put your pole in the water. Trust the Lord. Step out on nothing and start a church. Even if you have no idea what that means. 
Go on the evangelistic field. Go on the mission field. Open up a boy's home. Open up a girl's home. Open your home up. Be the first in your family to be an educator. Start your own business. If the Lord's prompting you to do something, you don't have to have natural reasoning or the approval of men. Just put your pole in the water and see what God will put on the other end. Number four, worship with wet clothes. We all talk about the story about Simon Peter. We love to say, get out of the boat, get out of the boat. That's not the story of that passage. But those of you that are graduates today, you're going you're gonna to hit something that's harder than the world trying to deconstruct your faith. That's your own personal failure. Simon Peter said, Lord, if that's you, they were in a boat in a storm, the winds were contrary, and they see Jesus walking on the water. And Simon said, Lord, bid me to come. And Jesus said, come. And Simon was walking on the water towards Jesus, and then his faith failed. He, saw the wind, he felt the wind and he saw the waves and the storm and he began to sink and Jesus picked him up. Listen to your pastor today. Somebody you love and respect is going to fail, you're going to fail, or both. And you've got to call on Jesus while you're sinking and after you sink and let him pull you up again. And then the Bible says that they went back to the boat. No one ever talks about that. We always talk about, get out of the boat, walk on the water, glory. No, he walked back after he sunk. It's what you do after you sink that's beautiful. And I wouldn't give you 11 cents for the Christian that doesn't have a back-to-the-boat story. Jesus, save me. And Jesus pulls him up, puts him on the water, and they walk back to the boat and watch the miracle again. They get on the boat, and immediately it's on the other side. And the Bible said they worshipped him. But one of them worshipped with wet clothes. When you fail on the weekend, you go right back on Sunday morning and be the first one at the altar. And you kneel and say, I have no excuse. Be merciful to me, O God. Don't hide from him. Worship with wet clothes. Repent with wet clothes. Rebuild with wet clothes. Don't let your failure be the foundation of your faith. Let the work of Jesus on the cross be the foundation of your faith. I don't have no suits that aren't wet. That wasn't in my notes, but I just wanted to say that. Number five, stand when everyone else kneels. The edict came out in Daniel chapter three that at the sound when all of the slaves, the Israelite slaves heard the sound of the music, uh, they needed to bow down to the golden idol that had been set up in the valley of Durham, King Nebuchadnezzar. And all throughout the land, the music started. All the cymbals and the flutes and the lyres and the, the, the stringed instruments and the drums. And then all of Israel bowed down except three teenage boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood. Listen to your pastor. Listen. I don't care how secular your high school was. When you get to college, there will be a vortex a relentless, are they going to hit the building, the, the plane? It's like they're just aiming towards us. Deflect them, Lord. <laughs> what was I talking about? 
Yeah. You're going to get to school and there's going to be a relentless current against your faith. They're going to mock and laugh. And you know what cowardly Christians do? Big strapping boys that won every athletic contest they could they get to college. And as soon as they start playing the music of their disapproval, they'll bow their knee and act like they don't know who Jesus is. Some Christians are so uh, sly that they think, well, Lord, I'm not really bowing. I'm just tying my shoe here. I just, I don't want to, I don't want to offend. And so, so my challenge to you is when everyone else kneels, you stand the straighter. When everyone else bows and says, well, I, I kind of grew up that way. No, no, you stand and say, in case you didn't know, I want you to know again that Christ is not only my Savior. He's my Lord. And if you're waiting on me to be ashamed of Him, you're going to die in your old age waiting on it. Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. You kneel if you want to kneel. You act embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed of my family. I'm not embarrassed of my parents. I'm not embarrassed of my friends. And I most assuredly am not going to be embarrassed of my Savior. I don't care if all of you quit. So many Christians are turning away. That's between them and God. I have no grounds for divorce against Jesus Christ. I'm going to stand. In this last hour, I want to stand straighter. I want to be more articulate. Do you really believe that Jesus is the only way? Yes, read my lips. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Christ and Christ alone. Number six. Break the box. Break the box. Jesus came into a house and noble men met him at the door. This is how you can tell the difference between a Pharisee and a believer. Pride-filled people meet Jesus at the door. How are you? Good to see you. Come on in. Believers meet him at the floor. And this woman came and met Jesus at the floor and she brought in a, a box of spikenard, of pure ointment. For her, it would be life savings. You can say that. Uh, the, the salary of a Roman soldier for two or three years, or it could be 20 years of salary for her. And the Bible says that she came up to the feet of Jesus, and she began to wash his feet with her hair. See, it was custom when you come in, they would have a little basin, and you would put your feet in. And they would provide a towel for you to dry it. Jesus didn't have any of those. So this woman, since there wasn't any well water, she opened up her heart water and poured it out of her eyes. And she washed his feet with her hair. She took her glory, the glory of a woman's her hair. And she took her glory and she washed his feet. And she kissed his feet all over. And then she took the most precious thing she had, this box of spikenard, this alabaster box. And she broke it and she poured it over Jesus. And you know what the disciples said? Why this waste? Waste. I know a lot of Christians and a lot of preachers that are known by their gift. This one's wise. This one's a good communicator. This one's a good teacher. Oh, this one had a class for 30 years. But I don't know many Christians that are known for wasting their lives on Jesus Christ. Why this waste? Because he was worth that to her. 
she had found grace for her sins, which were many. If you take your, cruise, your cues from the crowd, you're going to give Jesus passionless, robotic, a tip, if you will. And we don't worship with that mentality. Break the box. Pour your life. Waste your life on Jesus instead of spending it on yourselves. Because if you save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for Jesus' sake, you will find it. You've heard me over the years give this story, but for our visitors today, maybe this will be the one that sticks with you. It's like the little girl that her, uh, she grew up not knowing a dad. It was a large family. They were very poor, well below the poverty line. And the mama died. And she was the oldest of the children. She was like nine, and there were several younger than her. And the mama left her her wedding ring. And it was just like a crackerjack type thing. It wasn't really worth anything. But the pastor saw her one day a couple weeks afterwards and the offering came around and the little girl said, and she took her mama's ring off and put it in the offering plate. And the deacon saw it and talked to the pastor and the pastor said, yeah, I saw it. And so brought her up after service and he said, come here, darling. I just want you to know we, we saw what you did Sunday and that was a, a beautiful thing. But, but I, want you, I want you to take this back. She goes, no, no, pastor, pastor, listen, listen, we receive it. But you got to trust your pastor here. This is going to mean more to you later than it means today. So I want you to take this back, okay? She said, pastor, no. And he said, listen, if we go and sell this thing, they're not going to give us hardly anything for it. And it will just mean more to you than it would to our church. And that little nine-year-old that knows more about grace than 10,000 of that pastor and his friends, she said, I didn't give that ring to you. I wanted Jesus to have my favorite thing. I wanted Jesus to have my youth. I wanted Jesus to have my strength. I wanted Jesus to have my gifts, my years. I wanted Jesus to have my comfortable season so that I could work for him. I wanted Jesus. I wanted to waste my life on him. I lay before you life or death, blessing or cursing. Do you know that everything about eternity, once you have found grace through Christ the Lord, everything that pertains to your eternity comes from your choices. Dwayne, it's impossible that your babies were up here today. I blinked and they were just like this. And he would never say nothing. But him and his wife have been serving in children's church, what, 15 years? Yeah. So I don't see him much. Oh, he's working. Everything in eternity, the light, the brightest lights in eternity will shine on those that wasted their life on Jesus Christ. Wasted. So she poured all of this on Jesus and they take him to a kangaroo court and they're about to beat him into to unrecognizable state and they take that coat off of him and that man says, this man must have meant something to somebody. If our musician would come, they whipped him with that kind of nine tails and this spike nerd, you have to understand, was so strong 
so pungent that you could take just the tip of your finger and you could put it on three or four different women. And when they hit Jesus' back, the ribbons of flesh slung that spiked all over people. And the man whippers it. This man must have meant something to someone. Don't get to heaven with all your treasures in the box. Be emptied, broken like someone sliding into home plate with nothing else to give. Leave a mark, leave a legacy. Graduates, there are thousands, millions of people that have stood in Protestant churches in the U.S. over the years and they've heard encouragement to do this and be this and they spend their life climbing the ladder only to realize in the last day that the ladder was leaning against the wrong house. Leave a mark, a signature, something that lets the world know that you, for the sake of God, was here. Can I tell you something very personal? I don't talk about it a lot. If Jesus tarries and I go the path of all old preachers, I'll be sitting on the front row one day and won't recognize them. I just smile and everybody laughing. You know, who's that? He started the church years ago. And I'll be able to drive by the building and think about it and I go, hey, I recognize that place. And if Jesus tarries, some grown-up child will say, well, you ought to, Daddy. You started it. I did? Yeah. Daddy, was it hard? I don't remember. Would you do it again? Oh, yeah. For Jesus? Oh, yeah. Leave a mark. I close with this story. There's so many I could tell of my mom and dad. This is, this is one that changed me, though. I was preaching in Cordill, Georgia, our south by the interstate, if you didn't know. Get a good watermelon there, by the way. I was preaching to about 30 people. And right as I started preaching, a family of like eight or nine walked in. And just a little different. You know, there's country folk, but every town has its own little, they just look different. Just to, It was just America's, up the road, America's, but you know, they still, I could just tell that this wasn't church home to. So I got done preaching, I finished, gave the altar call, prayed for people, and they just kind of walked to the front, and the older man, he was probably 80, so this was, oh shoot, almost 30 years ago. Life's a vapor if I didn't tell you that. It just, he said, uh, had his hat in his hands. Are you John Wood? Didn't see my name on the marquee outside. You know, a little bit of church, seat 60 people. Evangelist John Wood. I used to think that was the biggest deal, that your name, you know, your H would be all crooked, but that didn't matter. It just it was all there. I said, yes, sir, I am. He goes, your daddy wouldn't happen to be Roger Wood, would he? I said, oh, yes, sir. He passed away when I was a little boy. He goes, oh, I'm so glad. We, we saw in the paper the other day that they were having revival services here with a boy named John Wood. And we just wanted to come in the chance that you were Roger Wood's son. 
and we wanted to hug the neck of the son of the man that led every one of us to Jesus. I said, what? And this old man put his arms on me and just cried on my shoulder and told me the story about how my dad led him to faith. And then the wife, and then the son, and then the daughter, and then the cut. I am wrecked. Wrecked. I mean sobbing, sobbing. And I learned two, th two things that day as they left and I began to ponder. I shouldn't say I learned it that day. It just kind of processed. First of all, I've outlived him 20 years, but I still can't carry his shoes. And the second thing is, my daddy left a mark. My mom left a mark. They left a mark with their life that carries on to children's children's children. And you can do that. I lay before you. Choose. Choose to be impactful or just for yourself. Choose to be good. Don't worry about being great. Just be good. Just be faithful. Live in such a way that people know who Jesus is and hell knows who you are. Say, Paul, we know. I love when those demons say that. Paul, we know. I want them to say, John, we know. He ain't much to look at, but he got a right cross. He takes the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Y'all stand with me this morning. I want you to live in such a way that others know Jesus and hell knows you. I look at these kids and I thought of young Mr. Tisdale. I saw his daddy's picture at Tattnall and then I saw his. And if the Lord tarries long enough, he's either going to be known for his wrestling or his wrestling. A mighty man of God because his, his youthful strength will fade and fail him. But his strength in the Lord, he can pass that on to his babies, babies, babies if Jesus tarries. May I just read this over you and just leave it with the Lord this morning? You may not be able to be anything you want from here. But you can go any direction you want. You can walk as close to Christ as you desire to. You can be as full of His Spirit as you make room for. You can be as good and as faithful as you're willing to be. And as powerful as you are submitted. Don't be lukewarm. From here, don't be lukewarm but catch fire. Don't be double-minded, but set your face like flint. Don't be indifferent, but passionate. Not just enough, but more than enough. Don't be great. Choose to be good. Remember this. No heavenly reward will be given for what God has done for you, but only that which you have done for God. So I close with this final scripture. I lay before you today, life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. From here on, no excuses. For the glory of the Lamb. 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 Somebody say it with me. For the glory of the Lamb. For the glory of the Lamb. God, we bless you today. We honor you. We celebrate you. 
I pray, O oh Lord, today that you would take a couple of these things found from your scripture and you would, like a, like a cow or a cattle would be branded, you would brand the inside of our soul that we must watch the hourglass, that we must break the box, that we, O oh Lord, must leave a mark, that you would cause us, stir us, provoke us to good works, O oh Lord. And let us be found busy, active, and faithful at, the, at your return. For your word says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. It's not enough if my mom and daddy work. I got to work. I got to work. Because I don't want to be empty-handed when you come, Lord. I want to give you something. Church family, before you go, can you give me just 90 seconds? The hour is late. The trumpet is at the mouth of the archangel and Christ is at the door. As important as anything I've said to my graduates and for us today is this. Be filled with the Spirit. You receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you. At salvation, He comes within. You're sealed. The earnest of the Spirit. But the baptism of the Spirit is for power. You receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you. Then you're able to be witnesses. Then you got something in your hand when you put your hands on somebody. Then you got something in your words when you speak to someone. It's too dark outside and the hour's too late and their hearts are too cold to be won over by some mental trick or hashtag. You need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be full of something. Might as well be the Holy Spirit. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you.